Greetings both history fans and film fans. If you haven't already, follow us on Instagram at History and Film. It's a good way to know when new episodes drop or just see other interesting history or film tidbits. And if you have any other questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to email me at simmons at tracknerds.com. Enjoy the show. So are you in on the Wordle craze that's uh, going around the last week here? Wordle? Wordle. So it's it's a basically a game that's gone semi-viral just like in the last week. Oh, I, I don't know. It's, it's just a word game where basically you have six guesses to guess the five-letter word. And like, you, so you just guess a five-letter word and it'll tell you like if you have a letter, the yes that's in the word, no, these letters aren't in the word, or then if it's in the right place or not. So basically it's going to be color-coded either gray or yellow or green, what, if, what you need to change for your next guess. Okay. And and so they just like compete with friends. But the reason I think it's kind of taken off is it's just one puzzle a day and everybody who logs on to their website, I don't even know if they have an app. It's just you go to the website and everybody gets the one puzzle a day. So it's like we're all competing against each other because that's all there is. You don't you can't keep playing, you know, blah blah blah. It's one puzzle a day oh. for everybody in the country. Okay. Or everybody, or everybody in the world that, that gets on there. So I've been like competing with friends and like seeing it's basically see who can get it in the fewest amount of guesses kind of thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I haven't yeah. I haven't seen that, but I'm gonna check it out now. Okay. If it's just one thing, that's like Yes, yes. So you, you can't it's binge not it. Like but predicting yeah. where I'm gonna be yeah, I'm not gonna be doing like fifty of these in a row. Right. You have to wait till the next day to do the next one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So I, I think that's probably why it kinda kinda took off. The big uh, controversy yesterday or two days ago at time of recording was no one apparently knew that you could repeat a letter within the puzzle. And so oh. everyone's like trying to figure it out. And then like, what? A double letter? And like everyone's oh. flipping out on Twitter. Like some people were calling that a spoiler. But then other people are like, well, good thing we know now that that's even a possibility because we thought it was. Yeah. You, anyway. So. Right. It's fun. Like I'm sitting there. You know, it's on it's on my phone, but I'm sitting there with like pen and paper trying to like okay plot it out what could it be so i don't waste guesses and you know what are the, oh, what are, yeah. what are the possible word combinations so you like are very very strategic with your with your guesses to try to get it as few as possible My, what's funny is the so the first time i didn't understand the rules <laughs> so i messed up the first time but then the second time i did it understanding the rules i got it on my second guess and just felt like a badass because <laughs> i basically went oh i don't remember what it was now oh, i went from oh i went from stand and it said okay the in is in the right place and the D is in the word and then you don't have an S, a T, or an A. And I was like, okay, so let's move the D and try drink. And that was it. Nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, welcome to History and Film. <laughs> this is our bonus episode on the tragedy of Macbeth, which at time recording here, what is it today? January 15th. It just came out yesterday on Apple TV. Logan and I were actually hoping to go see it in theaters around Christmas, but it wasn't available, at least in Wichita. Was it actually available in Phoenix or maybe at one theater? Yeah, it was. There was a couple theaters in Phoenix, but they were both pretty far away. Okay, okay. And I just like, I was like, well, because <laughs> to be honest, when you texted me and said, oh, it's not available in Wichita, I was like, oh, okay. Honestly, that's kind of a relief because <laughs> I'm... <laughs> I, dude, I'm telling you, over the last two years of like pandemic movie watching, I've gotten so comfortable with seeing new releases on my own TV yeah. in my own home. Like, 
it's the best. And honestly, <laughs> might be the best, like that and contactless delivery from Postmates, <laughs> like the best things to come out of the pandemic. Yeah, so when you texted me and said, oh, it's, it's not available, no theaters in which I have it, I was like, oh, okay, that's actually kind of a good thing. Like, I, I'm glad that I can just watch okay, it when okay. it comes out on streaming now. But it, it was, I mean, I technically probably could have gone and seen it a couple weeks ago. But then I wasn't going to be able to see it until the 14th of January, so you're like, I'll, right. just, I'll just wait and do the same. Yeah. Okay, Logan, go ahead and get us rolling. Yeah, so we're talking about The Tragedy of Macbeth, which is uh, Joel Cohen without Ethan Cohen. I think it's actually his first solo directed movie. If I'm not mistaken, um, I, I was, I, it may be, I was thinking there was one or two other projects that they weren't together on, but I couldn't tell you what those were off the top of my head. I'd have to almost go film by film to see, but yes, most of the films associated with the Coen brothers are Coen brothers. So you're right. There might be something obscure out there. That's one or two, one of them by themselves, but this for sure is the biggest movie that was uh, a single Coen brother. If there were even any others. Oh, okay. So it looks like up to 2003, Joel actually received sole directing credit because of Guild Rule. It says so. It's a oh. that says you can't, you can't, you can't have two directors. Be director. You can't both be director unless you're a quote established duo, um, which I guess they must have become in 2003. So like Raising Arizona was technically just Joel, but it was also both of but them. But it's a that's a Coen Brothers movie, right? Yeah. Right. Okay. That's probably and that may be why I was confused then too. Anyway, this movie is actually just Joel Cohen. Obviously, it's there are a lot. There's some stuff in here that is very Cohen Brothers ish because you know, <laughs> he's one of them. But it is just Joel Cohen uh, screenplay. Also, Joel Cohen, even though it's, I mean, it's it's Shakespeare. Like it's it's basically just Macbeth. Yes, I would say though that like the writing then includes some of the stage direction because obviously you, yeah, you're still making visual true. decisions and there's going to be directions of what's occurring when lines are being said or what's happening right. when there's no dialogue period. So he filled in all that both as a director right. and a writer. But yeah, so it's yeah screenplay by Joel Cohen based on Macbeth by William Shakespeare and uh, starring Denzel Washington as Macbeth, Francis McDormand as Lady Macbeth, and. Uh, there's a bunch of other cast members that we'll talk about. Right, uh, right. You, you know, all the all the good ones that you know, uh, <laughs> if you're familiar with the play. But yeah, I actually, just right off the bat, I, I want to kind of ambush you with this question. Uh-oh. Is this the best Shakespeare movie? Oh, like this version of Macbeth, is it the best Shakespeare movie ever? Yeah. I, I My knee-jerk reaction is no, but without a specific better one in mind. Does that make sense? So... I mean, a lot of people might say the the Henry the uh, Fifth with Kenneth Branagh, you know, a million things with Lawrence Olivier. All actually, I'm not a big fan of Olivier Shakespeare, ironically, because in my mind, it's too like in the, the there's a Ham, version of Hamlet that Olivier did, the one best picture in like '48 or something. And okay. to me, it was too. It felt like too stagey. Like Olivier is great, right. but he's a stage actor, and I kind of like yeah. when they do a Shakespeare a little more organically, although. There was times in this version where I wish maybe they had gone a little bigger with it. And uh, so visually, I'll, I'll say yes, but I'll, I'll say it's maybe in the conversation for best uh, Shakespeare film adaptation, but did not like blow me away in a way that I'm saying, oh, yeah, absolutely. Or anything like that. Or do you, okay. I almost feel like by asking the question that you do feel that way. We're yeah, we're uh, we're we're going to differ on that because to me and and this is. Different because I think we both approach Shakespeare differently. I would say that you are more of a Shakespeare appreciator than me. Like <laughs> for me, when I watch a movie that has 
Shakespearean dialogue in it, I'm just kind of like, oh, God, like, I feel like I'm in English class. And I mean that <laughs> not to disrespect any English teachers, past or present. <laughs> One of whom we know is listening right now. Shouts out to Mama Simmons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, it, you know, it's like, it do- I, I don't connect with it. But in this movie, I was like, just the... I, and I think the visuals had a the, the visuals and the performances had were a big part of it that I was like, okay, this is really cool. And it like the Shakespearean dialogue almost like played into the kind of the weirdness for me. Oh, yes, because yeah, you're right. It, it, it to me it felt very much it maybe it was just I don't know if it's just the black and white and this and the kind of the stark visuals, but to me it felt like an Igmar Bergman movie. Yeah. In uh, in in all yeah. the, in all the in all the best ways. So yeah. So I visually, this was probably the coolest looking movie of the year. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Visually, this is the coolest Shakespeare movie I've ever seen because it's yeah. like a lot of times you either get you get one of two things: either you get it's basically a play that's on screen, or they go like super modern with it. Right. Like uh, you know, there's the Romeo and Juliet, the Patrick Stewart, Macbeth. There's the uh, the uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, Romeo and Juliet movie where it's like Shakespearean dialogue, but it's you know modern setting and stuff. Right. And I'm not really a fan of that either. Okay. Um, just the that's a it's a, there's a, a real dissonance there between like the modern setting and the Shakespearean dialogue that I I just don't like. But this one, man, this one was. So cool looking, and I loved all of the the cinematography and the production design were just so cool. It it, it almost looked like the castle was like Dunsinane was like an M.C. Escher painting. Oh yeah, it was just yeah. like oh, it was. I I can't get enough of it. I I absolutely loved the visuals in this movie. Yeah, uh, and, and yeah, I, I'm I'm on board with that. So I'm almost like, hey, even if it just misses out a best picture nominee, and I think it'll probably be on the fence. It could get in, it could not. But I think it could, could and should win, whether it's cinematography or art direction or whatever you would call that. But his yeah. use of shadow and light is oh yeah gorgeous, and I feel odd fixating on that, but. Ultimately, for me, like, I don't know if this movie will necessarily, because I'm so story focused and all that, I don't know if this movie will necessarily make my top 10 of the year. And not because I didn't like it that much, more just because, well, I have the story memorized. So, like, there's no, yeah, there's no yeah. surprises. You know, you know exactly, exactly what's going to happen. Like, I know, right, because you know the characters, you know the lines. And down to, right, down to all of the very specific, like, super famous lines that right, people right. have had memorized for hundreds of years. Yeah. Absolutely. So, and, and it may that's it may that's almost me a problem in my mind too. In my mind, I have maybe the preferred delivery I like for each line, and if they don't quite mesh yeah. up with my preferred delivery, and yeah, we're kind of all over the place here too. So, I, I guess do we have to say spoiler alert for a four hundred year old story? <laughs> I don't think we do. Okay, because it's okay. like. I mean, but the argument is like, well, I'm not 400 years old. Like, I wasn't around. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't like it's. Yeah, we're gonna spoil Macbeth. Uh, yeah. So, yes, the the plot is. But exact- honestly, like, no, it doesn't take like I knew again. I I know the story. I'm at least familiar enough with Macbeth to know generally what happened. And and I would say if you're not, I think it might actually add to the enjoyment of the movie to like go real quick to the Wikipedia page or a YouTube video mm. or something and like read 
a plot summary of Macbeth before you go in, especially if you're not a like if you're not real keen on following the Shakespearean dialogue like me. Yes. You know, unless you kind of know what's going on, you don't really know what they're talking about. But then once you do know what's going on, it's like, oh, okay, I I, kind of get it. Right. I would love to do a line by line breakdown with someone who's not super familiar with Shakespearean language and basically be like, okay, no, no, pause. What did he just say? Now think about that. You actually know what that means, even though you think you don't. And like all those kinds of things. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, so and, and I think that that would actually add to the enjoyment of the movie. Yes, yeah, because you had a hard, hard, hard time following, or like even just the actions of the characters. It's just like, yeah, it's it's right. definitely not what you're used to if you're not used to Shakespeare. And this is one too. So Macbeth is probably the it is probably the play that I've seen the most different movie versions of. I've probably seen six, seven, or eight different movies of Macbeth because it is kind of the one. I would say Hamlet's my favorite play, but. Macbeth just tends to be shorter, and I kind of just like seeing the different takes on it more. Okay. I, I was going to ask you that, too, was which you just answered, but how does this rank in your, just in your Shakespeare in general? Like, just the story of Macbeth versus Hamlet or King Lear? Or- oh, right, right, right. I, uh, this is probably my second frame. It, it, honestly, it's probably Hamlet a little bit of a gap to Macbeth and then maybe a big gap to everything else. Like it's okay. They're, they're the two at the top for sure. Gotcha. And I, and I just, yeah, just the lines. So because I've, I've probably been exposed more times to Macbeth, man, I tell you too, I, I think I mentioned when I talked about, it's probably in the Shakespeare in love episode. I even quoted the tomorrow, tomorrow speech at the end, right after he finds out his wife has died. And mm-hmm. I just, man, it's, it's so, so beautifully written and crafted. And just, anyway, so the more and more you hear this stuff, the more and more it makes sense and the more and more you appreciate it. So I'm not a big acquired taste, like people who like coffee and beer and stuff like that. I'm like, just, I don't know. It's, it's garbage. I don't, why do you even want to drink that? And they're like, it's an, <laughs> well, it's an, it's an acquired taste. And I'm like, yeah, no, thanks. But at the same time, I think that's kind of Shakespeare where I can see it turning people off at first. But the more you drink your Shakespeare, the more you start to appreciate it and realize, oh, yeah, okay, okay, I get it, I hear it, and there's a, there's a rhythm to it, and and I would say that's kind of the same thing for me, which over the years I've I'm still like I said I'm not like a huge Shakespeare guy or fan, but I have kind of grown to appreciate it more. Like the more that I've seen, yeah, yeah. No, I think I think I think that's inevitable. But but also, it's the same way for me with these. Like I don't know, you know the word like these strange and kind of out there, you know, quote unquote a twenty four movies like this, uh, the Green Knight that just came out this year. Like they had kind of similar vibes. Okay, and so that is also like an acquired taste thing where it's like the first time. You know, if if you're used to watching just your average summer blockbuster movies, right? And then you watch The Green Knight, and you're like, "What the hell is this?" Right? Okay. But then the more you watch it, you were like, "Oh, okay." I actually kind of, you know, you learn to appreciate that kind of stuff. Right. I think. Right. You could tell this was a low budget movie, relatively relatively speaking. Oh yeah. But yeah. not in a bad way. It's almost like the brilliance of. Joel Cohen could get this made as an A24 movie for a limited budget because he's a brilliant filmmaker. And yes, if you didn't really kind of know much, you wouldn't realize that it was a uh, low budget. And I'm guessing the actors right. probably worked for less too, just to kind of get stuff like this doesn't get made with a hundred million dollar budget. It just won't get made. Yeah. Speaking of the actors. Oh yeah. What'd you think? 
Uh, good. So here again, my little critiques would be, so when you get like the Macbeth talking, you know, uh, Denzel and uh, why do I always draw a blank? On Francis McDormand. On Francis McDormand's name. Like every We've time. We've done that like five times yeah, just yeah. on this podcast. <laughs> I, I'm a huge fan. I think her, her name, in my mind, her name is just so mundane that I can't ever remember it. <laughs> but when, so when they're talking, it kind of occurred to me. It's like, oh, this is Shakespeare with American accents. And how often have we seen Shakespeare with American accents? And then maybe just the fact that everybody had, it didn't seem like everyone was from the same world to me. Like they, everyone was just kind of bringing in their own accent and they were just kind of a hodgepodge, which. I guess it's fine. It's Shakespeare. You, you also argue that, hey, on a play, you just kind of take the, the cast you have and realism is, is kind of a... Anyway, so I'm not saying it was bad. It's just something I noticed. Um, and then also I just feel, I felt like... So I talked about the method of delivery and you can kind of do the big Laurence Olivier style Shakespeare where it's like you're on a stage giving a soliloquy at all times or you can do yeah. the kind of more understated where you're saying the lines as if they're natural dialogue you would say anyway. And I felt yeah. like in this movie, it wasn't giving you consistently one or the other. It was kind of sometimes one and sometimes the other. So, okay. again, I'm not, I'm not saying it as like I disliked it. Just maybe a minor critique that I noticed and I do wish they had maybe decide, maybe picked the line. Yeah. And that's minor. That's minor. Again, I really enjoyed this movie. I really did. I, the performances were really good. But like Brendan Gleeson as Duncan right at the beginning, I was just like, is this rehearsal? Like it almost looked like he was like... Like is he, he have someone have a gun to Brendan Gleeson's head? Does he not want to be here? <laughs> it was so it was so deadpan that I was just like, all right, like it it, it that seemed odd to me. And then he kind of yeah. that was just kind of who the character was. And I, I think it would probably be better the second time around too, as far as all this because you know kind of know what decisions they're making and you can kind of be more okay with it. Again, I sound like I'm I'm like crapping on this movie. I really enjoyed it. It's just a different kind of experience when it's a story you have basically memorized. Like, Is it safe to say that you liked this movie, but you might not bring it up in your top 10 of the year episode we do in a couple months? That's probably fair. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's, it's, a, it's a borderline. It's, I probably have like, you know, 15 movies that are like, yeah, these are solid. And it might be right around yeah. that 11, 12 mark right now. I'd, I'd have to oh, look. Okay. I'd, I'd have to look. I still have some more to watch, okay. too. And uh, I could decide to squeeze it into the 10 spot, maybe. But the uh, problem is, again, is I'm all about original stories. And I'm like, I already know this story. Yeah, so it's true. almost it's almost ineligible unless it just blew me away. But it can't blow me away because I already know everything's going to happen. Yeah. Even though visually it was the best movie of the year. Just to look yeah. at, it's the, prettiest, it's the prettiest movie of the year. Which I think might kind of inform why I liked this movie so much more than you did. Even though I don't really like Shakespeare at all. And like you're the Shakespeare guy, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. I, yeah, yeah. I will say though, I I do love a good Denzel Washington monologue. Like, oh yeah. And to see Denzel Washington doing Shakespeare monologue it was like there was some really special stuff. Oh, he kills he kills the tomorrow tomorrow speech. Yeah. Again, the tomorrow tomorrow is my favorite speech in this play, and he killed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 For sure. So, so the other little thing I was going to say on on the Shakespearean language too. So. It's very common in Shakespearean adaptations to prune. And you don't alter the text, but you take certain lines out to streamline it or things that are... Anyway, so I'm not 100%, but as as a more of an expert than you, I guess we would say, uh, <laughs> it, it seems that this, this appeared uh, to my educated guess to be completely unedited. That this was line for line, word for word, the entire text, which is actually not the common way to do a Shakespearean adaptation. Yeah, and I 
I mean, I can count on probably one hand the number of times that I've seen on stage or in a movie an adaptation of Macbeth. Right. But just generally knowing what the story beats are, they were all there. They it's not like they, you know, left No, no, no. But there's out. yeah. But there's there's certain scenes where it's just like, wait, why is this minor character talking to this minor character about something that doesn't really matter? Yeah, those things usually get cut. That's because that's yeah. in the in the play. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it did seem to be a full, full adaptation. I that 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 actually is something that I did notice. So like the the scene where there's the servant or whatever and the doctor talking about right. Lady Macbeth sleepwalking. Right. I mean that's like there's stuff in that that needs to be in there for the story because that's when she go you know she's like saying she can't get the blood off her hands or whatever. Right. But that scene in the movie is like six or seven minutes long. I think. Right. Right. And it probably only needed to be like three minutes long right you only need 30 seconds to set up the out out damn spot and they basically gave minutes because again they were doing the full text right right yeah or with the uh it seemed to me pretty obvious that the old man that's kind of like the hermit is actually just the same actress playing the witch that plays the witch it is yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. yep so there's like that guy talking to that other kind of one that's playing both sides and i'm like this could be cut too but and, and often is that actually reminds me Catherine hunter as the witches okay is that who that was was awesome yeah yeah so good so good and i i really really liked that it was just the same person it was just one person yeah 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 oh god that, yeah that was cool the scene where she's standing and then she has the two reflections that was so again sick. <laughs> to- total bergman like oh yeah in yeah. ingvar bergman is like Get, like giving a slow clap for this well film. and and she even has the you know the oh, tight yeah. black hood over the yeah. white oval face like it's yeah death death and seven seal like it's yeah this this is very much it almost feels like one big homage to seven seal honestly kind of yeah and i i also really liked her in the uh the double double toil and trouble scene yes where she's sitting in the rafters and instead of a cauldron the floor just fills up with water yeah and she drops all the stuff in and it turns into the basically the cauldron right. and then afterwards all the water sinks back through the floor yeah that was so sick no yeah that it's, was so cool <laughs> uh very cool so historical background and we'll start with the story and then we'll get into the play itself it's kind of this is kind of a meta thing or a inception level thing because you got the history of the story itself, but then the play right. is 400 years old and has its own history. So you kind of got right. a history of the story within the play, and then the play itself has its own history. So first, the larger historical context. So yes, Macbeth is based on an actual king of Scotland, and he did su- succeed uh, Duncan, who had sons, and it still was Macbeth. So the bullet points are kind of accurate, but it's also a time in Scotland where we don't or it's so long ago, we don't know much about it. So Duncan was king of Scotland just like in 1035 to 1040 or 1034 to 1040. Yeah. And he was actually a young guy, right? Yeah. So he's born he in 10... Not yeah. old like in the... Right. So he's born in 1001. So he's only 39 when he dies, not not an old old man. And he became... Yeah, became king in 1034. And when his grandfather died, so... Duncan's dad was not his claim to his throne. It was actually his mother who was the previous king's daughter. And so when Malcolm II of Scotland died, his grandson Duncan becomes king and rules for just five, six years. And again, it's a thousand years ago. So we don't have a lot of details. It sounds like his reign was actually fairly uneventful. 
but he did exist. He did have sons, Malcolm and Donald Bain. Looking into a lot of this stuff, it's like, man, Shakespeare really earned his money writing this play with all the stuff that happened, because in real life, not that much stuff happened. <laughs> At least not that much stuff that we know for sure happened. Right, and we'll, and we'll get, I will, I'll get later into the play itself. I kind of want to do that yeah. after, yeah, or, yeah. or the order doesn't really matter. But yeah, so uh, yeah, Duncan did have two sons, uh, Malcolm and Donald Bain, who we both see in the in the story there. And actually, why don't you then give us the background of Macbeth and how that leads into and compares to what we see in the film? Because that gets a little bit different. Specifically, there's a whole new character, Lullock. And well, I guess that's after. Yeah. That's after. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So right. talk, talk yeah. about who Macbeth was and how he kind of related to Duncan. So Macbeth in the play is based on an actual king of Scotland who was actually a kind of not vassal king, but he... Uh, more more mayor I, I don't know if that's the right way to say that word of moray which was like kind of a state under the control of the king of scotland and so Macbeth or, or his actual scottish name which i'm gonna butcher <laughs> uh Macbethad mac findlake i think is like close okay. to how you say that yeah yeah was a uh yeah he he was a a a noble in this uh, little kingdom of Moray, which is like north of, in the northern part of modern day Scotland. And he was actually involved in a conflict against Duncan. He wasn't, you know, like friends with him like we see in the movie or in the in the play. He was actually attacked by Duncan, but then defeats him in battle, kills him in battle, and then takes the throne of Scotland that way right so there is a conf there is a conflict and it is Macbeth overflowing throwing Duncan by killing him but not in the way we see in the play right no, right not even close and then he rules Scotland for 17 years relatively peacefully and uneventfully right um, I saw in one video I watched that he went on a pilgrimage to Rome and really there's like not any evidence that he was this like tyrannical bad guy of a king actually the opposite like there might have been duncan that was him, the bad king yeah yeah there was like stories of him like giving a bunch of money to peasants and stuff and like he seemed like a just a generally decent king who ruled for like 17 years in a mostly peaceful time where not much happened i mean uh, he got overthrown a battle by malcolm the third but like during his reign it's not like he was going and conquering or you know, having all this political intrigue or anything. It really, not that much happened during his... Right, and so the question would be, what was Shakespeare's motivation to kind of switch that? And it deals with, and, and we'll, I'll, I'll get to it in more detail here at the, at the end, but James I was the new king of England, and guess yes. which one of these kings James I is descended from? Not Macbeth, Duncan. So yep. You're, yep. who are you going to make the good guy and who are you going to make the bad guy? Well, right. the king's ancestor has to be the good guy. And so hence, exactly. hence the story of Macbeth that Shakespeare wrote it is born. And I also saw that that also has to do with how the character of Banquo uh, was written. So Banquo at the time, Banquo and then his son Fleance were thought to be like distant ancestors of the Stuart line of Scottish kings, yes. which we talked about in the uh, when we talked about Robert the Bruce. His I think it was like his daughter and then his daughter's husband's son, like that was the first of the Stuart kings Family, of Scotland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that family, 
what you know was this the royal line all the kings of scotland all the way up to james and then now all the way down to queen elizabeth right have been rulers of scotland since then but now i guess historians are pretty sure that banquo never existed and neither did fleance and they're completely right. fictional characters right made up for the holland's head chronicles which is what was the really like rough quotes historical document that Shakespeare based his characters on. Yes, a couple. Oh yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah. The the Hollandshed Chronicles from uh, 1587 was kind of basically where Shakespeare got his story of Macbeth. Although even that, he he changed quite a bit. That had like instead of like ugly witches, it had like beautiful nymphs or fairies giving giving the prophecy. But it was still a quote history book that had fairies giving prophecies. So very much just a 16th century stylized kind of thing. Um, and there may have actually been a earlier 16th century book like from the 1520s that first actually had a reference to Banquo and Fleance and then Hollandshed just kind of borrowed it from them but yeah so it made sense that you know in Shakespeare's time it made sense that you actually believed Banquo was real because you essentially had two history books from the previous century that cited Banquo and Fleance but then it was in like the early 1700s that historians were like um they just pulled that out of their butts, apparently, because we don't understand where they got that. It's all just made up. So, yeah. There's, yeah. So, at the time, they believed the whole Fleance getting away thing was to then go, and the whole prophecy that, you know, thou shalt get kings, though thou be thou be none. Right. They met, They thought it was a cool little Easter egg, basically, at the time, but it turns right. out not to be the case. But Duncan is also an ancestor of right. James I, but not as closely made tied to the Stuart line. Yeah, so yeah. all those kinds of things. And, and I guess all, all of that to say, and the, the reason that I brought up Banquo in the first place is because at the time that Shakespeare wrote it, the historical record right. said that Banquo was actually like helping Macbeth with the oh, killing of the right, king. Right. Which like, if James I is his descendant, doesn't look good if you're like, oh yeah, your ancestor was like a murderer and a usurper. Right. So he like changed Banquo for too. his play to right. make him more sympathetic because, you know, you got to do that when, right. when that's the king's kin you're talking about. In the source material, Banquo is basically egging Macbeth on just like Lady Macbeth is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and they're like, oh yeah, we got to change that. <laughs> the other thing I thought was really interesting is so... Again, Shakespeare had done this before. He with with Queen Elizabeth, he had written plays that were kind of like to to her interests. And again, if you're needing funding in an audience, it's kind of good to ingratiate yourself with the people in charge. So obviously, Macbeth has the Scottish ties for the new Scottish king, but also the use of the occult and having the witches and everything that was a specific interest of James the First. Oh, really? Before James the First ever became king of England. He had written a book about demonology that was like published. Oh, that's wild. I didn't know that. So he was very, very interested in the whole witchcraft, occult, demon stuff, and literally published a book called Demonology in the late 1500s. So Shakespeare combined not just the Scottish stuff, but but with the occult as well, was all specifically tailored to James I's uh, interests. So yeah, go, uh, go ahead and drop us some Lady Macbeth truth. Okay, yeah, so uh, the character of Lady Macbeth is based on a uh, real historical figure who is actually, again, not a ton is known about her because she was a woman in the 
<laughs> in the 11th century. But she is best known for being the wife of Macbeth. But her name it it starts with a G. Know how to? Yeah, do you know how to pronounce that? in real, it looks like the, when I first saw, it, I thought it said Grouch. Let me see it again. But it's G R U O C H. So is it Gruok? Gruok? I have no Grok idea. Grok sounds okay. Grok. These old Gaelic names are so hard. <laughs> I just, oh yeah. I don't oh, yeah. get it, man. Anyways, so she was actually married before she was married to Macbeth. She was married to. Gil Cogmain <laughs> Mac Mel Brigdy, uh, who was the uh, Moramer of Moray before Macbeth was. Then he's killed. That guy is killed, probably by Macbeth, actually. Mm. And then she marries Macbeth, who is her former husband's cousin and possibly his murderer. Wow. Uh, I guess it's, it's not really... Um, no one's really sure... Whether that's like a Macbeth is like, oh, I'm conquering, I'm the victor, so to the victor goes the spoil, so I get my enemy's, former enemy's wife. Or if it's like, oh, well, she doesn't have a husband anymore, and so I'm going to like help her out and be her husband. Uh, that's not really clear, but either way, they got married, um, and then they they didn't have any children together. I guess she had a child from her previous marriage who actually succeeded briefly succeeded Macbeth as king of Scotland but just for a couple months before right. then uh Malcolm comes back and is takes the throne again but that's actually Macbeth's uh stepson Luluck Luluck yes yes so so that's actually who Malcolm boots off the throne is not Macbeth but Lulloch, right? Or I guess or, or it's kind of both. It's kind of both. Then yeah. He, so yeah. He, he yeah. Macbeth he defeats is, Macbeth, uh, but then Lulloch takes the throne. And they, he defeats Macbeth. Lulloch gets the throne for a couple months. He boots him off the throne. Right. And then <laughs> at some point in history, Gruach dies and um it says that there's some there, there were some sources that said it was suicide but no one knows if that's true and it it is just as likely to be true as to be not true and no one knows really not a ton is known about her because she i mean again she she's really only known for her association with these other monarchs in scotland right and because Macbeth was not as machiavellian as he is in the play the idea that his wife is then aiding that machiavellianness yeah. is is yeah not likely <laughs> and that's like that's like the thing with with Macbeth and gruach and like all of these people is this was like even at the time that shakespeare wrote the play this was like pretty obscure historical stuff Oh, I mean, this was right. 500 years before Shakespeare. Right, right. So it's like, it was already kind of obscure. And then like, it's, again, it's kind of like we were talking about in the last Duel episode. Like, the only reason that those people have Wikipedia pages is because that guy wrote a book about them. Like, the only reason that people have been digging into Macbeth for this long, like the actual Macbeth, right. is because Shakespeare wrote a play about him. Right, we would have never have heard about him. He'd be, yeah, they'd be as obscure as, I mean, well, yeah, anybody else that you can't name because they're too Exactly, obscure. like, think any of the other, you know, vassal state rulers of wherever right, at that time, right. like, th he would be just as obscure as any of them. But, right. be, you know, because Shakespeare has a play, now this dude is, like, you know, super famous for a, a thousand years after his death. So with, uh, so let's look at the, the kids. So then, yeah, so Malcolm... 
first, I guess first Macduff. So in 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 the play and the film, it's Macduff who defeats Macbeth. But that all seems to be made up. There was a Duff who was king of Scotland like a hundred years before Duncan and Macbeth. Yeah. But and so that may be where he got the name. But that was just kind of a filler. It is Malcolm who kind of just in his own right takes Macbeth and Lullock out and, and then rules for thirty five years actually. And so. Malcolm's daughter, Matilda, marries Henry I of England. And so Malcolm, who we see in the play here, played by Dudley Dursley, is uh, yes, is the grandfather of Empress Matilda, who we're big fans of here. Right. Yeah. yeah. Which that's, I, I think we even mentioned that too, you know, when we talked about Empress Matilda being like the hourglass. Oh, right. Of like all right. of the Scottish royalty and all right. of the English royalty. Yeah. 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 This, yeah. This is her. Her mother's side is the Scottish side, and her grandfather, her maternal grandfather, is Malcolm. Now, the ages of the kids, so we don't know exactly when Malcolm was born, but it's actually pretty likely he would have been a little kid when his father died. So maybe more like nine years old as opposed to an adult. And it does look like, though, after Malcolm's death, they did flee the country, though, for their safety, which that is in, in the play. But again, they would have been kids fleeing to safety with other people not like adults who then get accused of the murder and all that kind of stuff so that's all made up right but yeah um also too the timeline too the film and the play give you no indication that Macbeth is on the throne for 17 years so yeah when Malcolm goes into hiding well yeah then 17 years pass and he comes back from exile and now is a you know man in his 20s after the throne right and yeah he successfully gets it let's see we have his Malcolm, not not Macduff, who killed Macbeth in, in battle. Again, I don't know if he literally killed him in battle, but what's also interesting too. So the Wikipedia page, and they're quoting some another source as well. They say he then also killed Lolok, quote by treachery. So cool, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and Lolok was more of a he was just he wasn't long for the world anyway. Technically, he's succeeding Macbeth by virtue of being his stepson, but. Yeah, he was not. He was basically a non-king. Like he would have been a puppet right. ruler forever else, and he was easy to kick off the throne right after Macbeth. I mean, it it, it sounds e- even like a bigger deal than it is, and it doesn't even sound like that big of a deal. Like, oh, he was king for a couple months, but like you know, you have to realize that at that time he was king basically long enough for Malcolm to walk from wherever the battle was <laughs> to wherever he was to go. You know, boot him off the throne. Like that's the that's the only reason that he was king for that amount of time. However long it was between Malcolm walking that distance. Right. If if Malcolm had a car, Lulk is never king. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then what's interesting? So Malcolm had kids, but. Donald Bain actually swoops in uh, after Malcolm's death and defeats his own nephews to claim the throne in his own right. So he, Donald Bain's a very minor character in the play as just Malcolm's younger brother, and then Malcolm right. becomes king. But yeah, Donald Bain basically usurps his nephews in his 60s to then rule for just like a year, and then his nephews take over anyway. So... I guess you, I, I guess you forget that it's like even back then. I guess it's just the ego of being king thing that he's in his sixties and want just I want it, I want it, it's mine. Yeah, and uh, takes it. But then again, then he did only last a year, and then his nephews succeed him anyway. It's also important to note that we keep saying King of Scotland, King of Scotland, King of Scotland. 
Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> this is not them controlling all of modern Scotland. Again, borders right. were soft. The territories shifted. It was much smaller. Yes. There were regional kings. Like you even kind of mentioned that Macbeth was almost kind of a vassal king to Duncan in a different area. So it was just all chaotic. Right. And when we're talking about this, this is before there is even like an England. Right. Like right. this is pr- this is pre-William the Conqueror. Right, this is all in that Mercia, Northumbria time period. Yeah, and actually, then, yeah. Uh, like, Duncan was fighting battles against Northumbrians right, right before right. he goes to fight Macbeth in Moray. Right, so all, all kinds of complicated, and basically, what made you a king? You call yourself a king, and if anybody's got a problem with it, they can come fight you. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I mean, it's it's... I mean, it it is literally the exact same stuff that we see in Vikings. Yeah. It's yeah. the same. I mean, it's contemporary to that stuff, basically. Yeah. yeah I, literally, it's about 100 years after the show. But, like, yeah, it's, it's right. It's all in that same ballpark. Right. 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 Yeah. It will be contemporary to the sequel, I guess, then. I was going to say, yeah. I think it is going to be It's contemporary to, um, yeah, the, the new show the that's coming series? out. Because Canute the Great is a character in that show and he is contemporary to these guys. Yes, absolutely. And like Edward the Confessor is contemporary to these guys. Right. Yeah, so actually I'd almost be surprised if they don't include Duncan or Macbeth or Malcolm or somebody in that show. Just uh cuz that's oh, kind of what like they... a cameo or something. Oh, well, or it's, like, like, it's, yeah. it's what they like to do. And yeah. uh the other thing I thought was interesting and kind of worth noting just cuz all this stuff is cool that in this culture specifically they said like Gaelic cultures the norm was when you seize the throne, your first course of action then was to raid a neighbor territory. Just as like almost like a rite of passage or like an initiation rite oh, was really? the new king's got to invade the neighbors just to kind of like strut his stuff. And they were even kind of okay. talking about like some of these skirmishes. They don't want to be token skirmishes. Like I forget if it was Malcolm or Duncan or who. I think, I think it was Malcolm was just like, oh, I'm just going to raid Linda's farm real quick so I can say I did it, but I don't actually want to piss you off. <laughs> I don't know, just little, little things like that. Um, I think we covered all our bases now, actually. Uh, well, it's, it's too early to talk about award stuff, but right, like we right. said, it's probably, it's probably getting cinematography, some technicals, you know, just because it's so cool visually. I would imagine, I would say at least Denzel gets an acting nomination. Maybe Francis McDormand. I agree Denzel's the most likely. Yeah. I don't think it gets a screenwriting nomination just because it's the whole oh well it's just Shakespeare thing. Right, right. Uh, maybe, maybe a directing. I no, I I think there's a decent chance of that too, just because of the decisions he made are just kind of so bold. Yeah, and and I think if it does get a best picture nomination, it's probably I don't think it wins just because no, no, just because Shakespeare itself is just kind of a, a more of a niche thing but i think it might get nominated especially if if they nominate like a high number like if they nominate you know seven eight nine movies i i'm sure it gets at least one of those well so here's here's what increases uh drastically this year they've actually made a shift in the rules it's a fixed 10 there will be 10 nominees oh okay then i think it for sure gets okay okay nomination just looking at it you know it has like there's, it has been nominated for some other awards already. Like Denzel Washington is nominated for a SAG award. AFI had it in their top ten of the year. So like it's it's gonna get some awards. Um, I, I think it's just a matter of of how many. Also, and this is a really really minor thing, but you kind of mentioned it in passing. 
but I I do like uh, Harry Melling. He's Dudley Dursley. Oh yeah, he's been in. Uh, well, I, Queen's Gambit. I know him as Dudley Dursley. I actually haven't seen Queen's Gambit. Oh, so it's I, good. It's good. I know he's in it, but I haven't seen him in it. Um, the other thing that I know him from is actually the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which again is another. I've brought that movie up a thousand times on this podcast, but uh, another you know Coen Brothers connection. He's the kid in Ballad of Buster Scruggs with no arms and no legs that Liam Neeson carries around That's right. and has him recite Shakespeare. Yeah. Interesting. Good call. I'd, yeah, that's crazy. It was He's lost so much weight. I didn't recognize him for the longest time. Like even after, it wasn't until after I was finished with Queen's Gambit that I think my mom was like, well, that's, that's Dudley Dursley. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> oh, I, I, so I, when I saw him in Ballad of Buster's Cross, I was like, that looks like Dudley Dursley. Oh, see, like, I, I didn't I, notice at I, all. My thought was like, I wonder if they're related. Oh, and then I looked it up. I was like, "Oh, that's just him. He just lost weight. He just right. lost all of his right. He was just a chubby, from... a chubby kid. Now he's in his twenties or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Or pushing thirty, I guess. Yeah. So, Tragedy of Macbeth uh, by Joel Cohen is currently sitting at a ninety-three slash eighty-one on Rotten Tomatoes. So, pretty solid. Not surprisingly, Shakespeare's probably almost always going to be higher on the critic side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Even a bad adaptation would probably be higher on the critic side. Yeah. But yes. I did enjoy it. Visually, it is amazing. And if you are not a Shakespeare fan, I would say this is actually, like Logan, you were saying, probably a good introductory film to maybe get you a little interested. It might feel slow if you struggle with the language, but the visuals are so cool. And it's a story of murder and insanity so i mean hopefully that can keep you engaged too so we'll call this your starter film for shakespeare if you're if you're not a fan already yeah i would say that it's you know if you don't really like shakespeare like me just go into it like you're watching a movie like the green knight and i think that's i mean that's that's like the thing that i'm like most comparing it to just because it's like you know, it's another A24 movie. It's an arty in, movie. It's an arty movie as opposed to a traditional right. kind of it, popcorn movie. And it's set in, yeah. in, you know, medieval England. Well, it, this was in Scotland. But yeah, you know, and even in that movie, that's like an Arthurian legend. And like the dialogue is kind of weird and doesn't really track with, you know, our modern dialogue and how we talk now. But it's like just visually, it's really cool. The vibes are really cool. Um, that one's a little more showy as far as visuals but this one is yeah it's it's really special i i think even if you don't like the shakespeare stuff go see it just to see how cool it looks oh yeah yeah you can almost play this on have it muted and just in the background as like an art piece it's a gorgeous film yeah but i the thing with shakespeare though is that it's it doesn't sound like anything we would talk like today but if you like read it it's really not that far removed from modern English. I mean, yes, it's 500 years ago or 400 years. Shakespeare ago. is modern English, technically. It is considered modern English. Right. And, and like you can understand it. Like if you just if you look at it long enough, you'll be like, OK, I, I kind of get what's going on. OK, yeah, but yeah. it is it is something that you kind of have to practice, though. Where it's like, okay, if I know what's going on, it's almost like learning another language, but you're just learning English better. It's like, okay, if I know what's going on, I know what they're talking about, and then I, you know, see or this whatever sentence on the page, or I or I hear it on the stage or in a movie. You do that enough times, and you're like, oh, okay, I know what that means, even though it doesn't sound like anything I would ever say or any conversation I would ever have in real life. 
Right. Oh, and I, I meant because it's bonus episode, I do have I have a little bit of feedback I wanted to share. So one, uh, Mrs. Hibbs did reply and said she was very excited to see that we were doing that. She just like she misses you guys and just kind of thought it was cool to hear you, you know, the banter back and forth and all that kind of stuff. So oh, cool. Thumbs up for Mrs. Hibbs. And then on Reddit, I just got a comp. It was when I posted the Genghis Khan versus Queen Elizabeth episode. What I wrote was in which we see if the wits and spies of Elizabeth are a match for the mounted archers of the Mongol horde. <laughs> and then someone replied, um, Elizabeth waits for the Mongol step ponies on and archers to drown in the channel. End of story. <laughs> so yeah, shout out to uh, Zoe Tropo on Reddit who just kind of said, yeah, Elizabeth <laughs> is on an island. She'll just wait them out and win. Yeah. Exactly. Which uh, yeah, because is because correct. the Dothraki won't cross the narrow sea. Yes, yes, and the poison Everybody water. Everybody knows that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yes, uh, thanks for listening. Let's see. I'm going to get this out as soon as possible. So uh, we should be in the midst of our tournament, and I think we're kind of in the middle of narrowing down who makes the final four of our tournament for most interesting person in history. So check that out as well, and we'll catch you later. Yeah.